Hello, welcome to the second episode on Fly on the Pod with myself, Tom Dueslo, and Patrick Heyman. Uh, Patrick, how are you? All well, Tom. Keeping up the New Year's resolution. Been doing a bit of fitness over the weekend. Had quite Very a long good. run yesterday. How, how are you feeling? Pretty stiff, to be honest. I think I've pulled my hammy. Same old, same old. Oh, I don't have much advice for you on that, but my good friend probably can give you better advice. Uh, Gary, what would you, your advice for Heyman be? Well, the first thing I will be resting it and uh, icing it for the first 48 hours, and then you can gently start stretching it, start putting some load through it, and then return back to your running. Better get in the ice bath then. The ice bath will be good for you. Today we've got Gary Lewin, who is an England and Arsenal football physio legend. Uh, when it comes to backroom staff, there's no one greater than himself. How do you feel about Arsenal at the moment? I think they're going through a transition. I think they've yeah. got to be given time. Um, I would like um, Arteta to be given three or four transfer windows to get the squad Harry wants it. Um, people forget it took Klopp four years before... Mm. Liverpool got to, and probably about four hundred million pounds before he got to where he wanted to be. Um, so it's going to take time, and unfortunately, in the current climate in football, time is not something you get a lot of. So uh, I'm hoping he's given time, and I'm hoping that it's a transition and things will pick up very quickly. La, well, last season was Arsenal's biggest change when we had four. I've only been alive for um, twenty-one years, and I've only had four managers in my lifetime at Arsenal, and three mm. of them came last season. So um, it is obviously a big change for Arsenal at the moment. But with your association with Arsenal and how you work so closely with um, the likes of Arsene Wenger, what, do, what would you say the greatest sort of characteristics about Wenger was? Um, well, I, was, I, I mean, I was really lucky. I mean, I was there for 22 years and only worked with three managers. Um, George Graham took me in in the first place and then we had some great success with George and then unfortunately had to leave. Um, and then Bruce came in, Bruce Rook came in for a year, and then Arsene came on board. Um, awesome. I, I, I would say Arsene Wenger's probably the biggest thing he brought to the game is the culture in football was as long as you performed on the Saturday, it didn't yeah. really matter what you did during the week. Whereas Arsene's philosophy is you train the way you play. And so if you don't train properly during the week, you won't play out the weekend. And yeah. I think if you talk or read any of the books written by Tony Adams, um, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, Steve Bold, Martin Keogh. They're all saying the same thing in that he, he, he extended their careers by four or five years by the way he approached preparation and playing. And uh, that was probably the biggest strength he brought. Did he really change the culture at Arsenal then when he came in and moved away from a sort of relaxed sort of environment and went for this sort of intense training regime? You know, you got to work Monday to Friday, big game at the weekend. Well, I, I would actually say it's the reverse in that previously everything during the week training was, it could be quite intense, but if you missed a training session, it didn't matter as long as you performed on the Saturday, but you, on the Saturday, it was very, very intense, yeah. very pressurized. Um, George was very, very demanding. Arson was, it's, it's a straight line. You, you train the way you play, but it's constant throughout the whole week. Um, the training was quite intense, but shorter. But everyone was actually, he, he liked people to be relaxed around the training ground. 
Um, I mean, he built London Colney to what it is now. He made it into an area where players, they were coming home to work. It was a relaxed environment for them to work in. And he didn't like too many staff around the team. And on a match day, everybody knew their jobs. And he liked players to be relaxed. The relaxed um, atmosphere then. Yeah, and if, if they're relaxed, they perform better. Do you think when he rocked up, uh, Wenger, the mood changed? As if you've got some big characters there and yeah. Wenger, Wenger who comes in. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, I think the biggest thing, nobody knew what to expect because yeah, nobody yeah. knew anything about him. And I, I remember our first game was Blackburn away. And uh, we won 2 new. I think John Hartson scored both the goals. Um, but we, again, I think we were 1-0 up at half-time, but we weren't playing very well. So all the boys come in, and don't forget they've had years of George Graham and Bruce Riach, and we're in the dressing room, and now they're waiting for what the Man United people will call the hair, uh, the hairdryer treatment. Yeah. Arson walked in. He walked into the corner with Borough Primerac, his assistant, had a cup of coffee, was talking to him very quietly, allowed the lads to do what they had to do. And all the boys are looking at each other, say, well, come on then, when are we going to get our blast? And he literally turned around, clapped his hands and said, right, this is what we're going to do. And he made three tactical changes. Come on, that's it, let's go. And out they went. And it was left. quite a common thing. The lads were looking around, waiting for some sort of um, manager to rant and rave, but he was the complete opposite. He was blessed with some of the players he had. Um, mm. Who would you say... Uh, with your association with Arsenal, the greatest player was to play for Arsenal? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a really difficult I think, question. I think we can, we can fire off a few names that we know are going to be in the running here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was really lucky. I went through some incredible years at Arsenal, the yeah. Tony Adams era and um, Steve Bowl, Ray Parler, the famous back four, yeah, Martin Young back came four. in. But if, um, people often forget David Platt and the the uh, the effect he had on the club when he came in with Bruce and he he, he brought a different mentality into the club. But look, Patrick Vieira, Emmanuel Petit, yeah. these Aubrey. Robert Perez was always one of my favourites. Um, but for me, it comes down to two. I think Dennis Burkamp is one of the greatest players I've ever watched, um, and. He came into an Arsenal culture that was very, very old school. Um, and people were impressed of his professionalism, how he trained, how he played, how he conducted himself. Yeah. So for me, that's got to be one of the top two. And the second one is an obvious one, Thierry Henry, um, because of what he did at the club. Oh. After that, you're looking at Wrighty. Wrighty yeah. was sensational. Mm. Um the 89 squad, the number of players in that. David O'Leary was still around then. He had a long career. Going and back to uh, Bergkamp, sorry, what did you make of him not flying? The non-flying... Well, we knew, yeah, we knew that when he signed. And if you look at the history, I'm not sure if he's ever put it in a book, but he was actually on a plane that did a, an emergency landing um, with a bomb scare. Yeah. And uh, I think it was in America during the World Cup. And then about the same time, there was a horrific plane crash in Holland. So um, when we signed him, the club knew that he had this fear of flying and, and accepted it. Now, at the time, we weren't that prevalent in Europe, so it didn't yeah. really seem a big problem. But then suddenly we started winning um, championships and winning cups and things, and then Europe became a bigger thing. But we all accepted it because he was such a world-class player. Everyone accepted it. How did he get around then? Did he take the bus or something? 
He would drive. Um, there were some places he wouldn't go to, especially in the qualifying stages. If we had a big game at the weekend, Arsenal wouldn't let him go. Um, his dad often drove him and he would go a couple of days before and break the journey up and spend a couple of days travelling. When a player like as talented as himself, uh, when they're training, can you just see the like presence of someone like that and be like, oh, he is just incredible? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you class is permanent. And, uh, yeah. and I think you see that whenever when you see world-class players. And at Arsenal over the years, we've been very blessed with some world-class players. Well, I know Arsenal are brilliant in the sense that Patrick, you don't get to celebrate such glorious history as Arsenal. I've won a fair few titles with Chelsea, Tom, in my lifetime. <laughs> well, I've worked with quite a lot of Chelsea boys with my in my England days. Um, obviously, John Terry, Ashley after you left Arsenal, Bridgie, Frank Lampard. So yeah, we've had some good guys come through from Chelsea. And touching on the England camp, I'd love to know how that dynamic worked when we had those sort of glory years that were never very, you know, we didn't win very much, but we had all those players like Gerrard, you know, Rio Ferdinand, Terry, Lampard, Scolzi, all these players that, you know, they were our golden generation, but it never quite clicked. And what was it like being around the England camp when that was going on? Well, what I would say to that is, see, I would argue with people who say it didn't quite click. I think if you look at 2002, 2004, 2006, when the golden era, as I were classified, yeah, were at their strongest, we were very, very close. We played mm. Brazil, lost 2-1 when they went down to 10 men. And I think that was a bit of naivety from our point that we didn't have experienced players at international. Brazil on that day were incredibly experienced the way they managed the game. And that's that's historical, that they've been in that position yeah. years and years and years, and we hadn't been. so. But we were very, very close that day. Then Portugal, um, when we lost, was it Portugal? No, in Portugal, it was Wayne Rooney when he broke his foot. Oh, yeah. Um, in one of the games. Um, and then, um, obviously, in Germany, when Wayne got sent off and we lost Michael Owen early with a cruciate injury. They were fine margins. I mean, even, even I think it was Germany when we lost to Portugal on penalties. If you remember, we put Jamie Carragher at the end because he was our top goal scorer on penalties in training. He took the penalty and the referee scored and the referee hadn't blown his whistle. And That's he made true. him take it again and he missed. And we know England's problem with pens at big tournaments. Yeah, that, that, that fine, fine, yeah. fine margins. Fine margins. I would even argue in 2010, you know, when we lost to Germany 4-1. If Frank's goal had oh, us counted yeah. when the ball was over the line, that would have made it 2-2. That would have been a different game. Different game altogether. And now, thankfully, we've got that sort of technology in the game now. So we won't be making the same mistake, but so yeah. unlucky. You're right, it's yeah. fine margins. Is it inches? Um, going back to so you, those big fine margins, basically. Uh, and if we, sorry, Patrick, but I'm going to be bringing it back to Arsenal. <laughs> fine <laughs> margins and uh, Arsenal and the Champions League final, that red card for um, Lehman, and then that changes how we set up. Yeah, uh, Perez, I think, gets subbed off. Yeah. And so fine margins. What was that like? The Champions League um, final. Well, you, talk, you talk about fine margins again. If VAR had been working in those days, both their goals were offside. Layman doesn't get sent off. Mm. And that aside, we're one nil up and Thierry's put through one on one. He's, and you, he, put, you put your house on him scoring. 
and he didn't. That's he fine margins. He carried That's us fine two. margins again. Henri played the greatest game he's almost ever played in his Arsenal career mm. that day. So, so it's hard to say whether if he had turned up and scored uh, in the Champions League final, it would be different, obviously. But he did carry Arsenal to that place. Yeah, he made one. He, he, he missed one chance. The rest of the game, he was unbelievable. I mean, his distance covered in that game would have been phenomenal. We were ten men for most of the game, um, and again, as I keep saying, it it just comes down. It comes down to fine margins. Speaking of um, when it comes push comes to shove, when Arsenal went uh, invincible and won the league at White Hart Lane, what what was that like? Compare the two scenarios. So the change room after the Champions League final where we lost and it's obviously gutting and then winning the league at White Hart Lane, the celebrations. Um, well, again, look, I've been, I've been very, very lucky. So I've, I've worked at Arsenal when we won the league at Anfield. We won the league at Old Trafford. It's we won so- the league at White Hart Lane and we won the league at Highbury. So they're all special in their own way. Now, um, the Invincibles year, what a lot of people forget, we won the league with four games to go. And for the next two games, we were awful. I think we drew nil-nil at home with Birmingham. And I think we drew 1-1 away to Portsmouth. And we could have lost those games quite easily. But we managed to that determination to go the season unbeaten. Personally, I still don't think the, the, the team or the club are given the credit they deserve for what they did that year. Um, and when you see some of the great teams that have come back since United's, Liverpool's, Chelsea City, that they've never achieved it, and uh, that they was they never a, will. And and, they never <laughs> will. and again, what what people don't forget is we had a mad week that season. Now I don't know if you remember, but we lost to Man United in the cup semi final. Uh, we lost to Chelsea. Chelsea in the quarterfinal of the Champions League when Bridgie, who gets a nosebleed when he goes forward, scored with a, in a minute to go. Yeah. We then played Liverpool at home, and this is the famous one with Thierry spins Jamie Carragher. We were 2-0 down at home. Now, we then turned it around on 1-4-2, but in a week, we nearly lost everything. Yeah, and again, you go back to '99 when Man United did the treble. We're beating, we're drawing one-one with Man United in a cup semi-final. Dennis misses a penalty in the last minute. Oh, they go on with Giggsy scores an incredible goal. Champions League final, they're one-nil down going into injury time. They score twice. We played Leeds away that year, and if we'd have beat Leeds away, we had our last game of the season to win the league. And um, Nigel Winterburn had to come off because he broke his nose and he, he had a really bad facial injury. Nelson Vivas went on, who's a right back. He went on left back, made a mistake. Leeds yeah. beat us 1-0. Fine margins. I keep using the phrase. Fine margins. Fine margins. <laughs> and Gary, I'd love a little insight into what it's like being, you know, as a member of the backroom staff and the sort of spats they have on the touchline. You know, Wenger and um, Fergie have got their history mm. and Mourinho... Mm. I know you worked Arsenal in his first tenure at Chelsea and, you know, the yeah. whole Pizzagate thing with Fabregas. Like, what's it like sort of being on the sort of in the mix of all that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you get involved in the heat of the moment. Um, on the medical side of it, we tend to detach a little bit, although I'm quite famously seen dragging righty off a few times over the years. Peace, mate. Um, 
Yeah, you, you look, you get involved in in, in the, the 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 heat of the game, and yeah. um, but afterwards it all calms down. Um, managers are often different animals on match day to what they are for the rest of the week, and despite all the spats that went on between those guys, the respect for each other is immense because they all know what a great job they do and how difficult it is to do that job yeah. in, in, in the goldfish bowl of professional football. And have a drink after the game, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was right. Uh, and I think Wenger, I think, did it quite a lot. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but he would often invite the away manager into... I think it was me. Uh, like, yeah, that was that was something that happened. Um, all, all, all teams. Um, that wasn't just Arsenal and uh, and and Fergie and, and and the top managers. That's something that was almost standardised in football. That everybody after the game, no matter what the result was, would go and have a drink and um, say congratulations, commiserations, depending on what the that's, result was. It's quite surprising to hear that because that seems it's sort of relates the sort of grassroots right up to the sort of top top levels it's quite fun that consistency almost yeah it'd be very rare it didn't happen it, it, it i mean occasionally it did don't get me wrong occasionally words were said that uh, afterwards may be regretted but that happens in the heat of the moment players are exactly the same i suppose you'll see players you'll see players arguing go up to each other and in the following week they're playing for their countries yeah, they're hugging and swapping. It, it happens all the time. That that's the sport. That's the sport. That that's the way it should be. Were there some players that were just the worst losers? Sort of. I want to know. Sort of. Miss. Let's go from Mr. Arsenal, for example. Tony Adams as a captain, would he command <laughs> the best of people? Uh, in his early days, I remember Tony pinning people up against the wall if he didn't think they were pulling their weight. Um, and that's what football used to be like. Um, and John Terry was exactly yeah. it. John Terry was the same. They, there's a quite well-known saying, if you show me a good loser and I'll, I'll show you a loser. Um, yeah. I don't think this is only a football. I think this is sport in general. If you're competing at that level, at the top level, the determination to win and be the best of what you are makes you determined, makes you like that, makes you focused. Sometimes it can spill over a little bit, um, but I think that goes with the territory. Uh, and, and I think you would rather have that sort of character on the pitch than not have it. Do you think football's lost that sort of cutting edge of aggression at the top of the game? What with social media, VAR, yeah. Yeah. ears and eyes everywhere? 100%. 100%. Um, you could argue it's for the better of the game. It's The game's become a bit more beautiful to watch. Soft. You could argue it's lost Soft. a bit of that passion. <laughs> I, I, I would say... In the last eight months, the biggest thing for me, the game is learning how important the fans are. Without the fans in the stadium, it isn't the same. And I think that shows on TV. Mm. It definitely shows in the stadiums. And even when we had the small um, period of time where some fans were allowed in, even having two or 3,000 fans in, Nothing. I'm hoping the whole sport in general has realised how important they are to the game. Yeah. Because they're vital to the game. When you go compare sort of the uh, Emirates and the Highbury in the sense that Emirates is a sort of glorified massive stadium and Highbury was more sort of small and tight. What do you think the difference was between like for fans at least between the two? And I think and changes, yeah. change, are moving Arsenal away from Highbury 
yeah, uh, to the Emirates, which is obviously- I, I think the football experience and the need to get into a bigger stadium was massive. Do I miss Highbury? 100%. I mean, as I said, I was there 22 years. As a player before that, I first went to Arsenal when I was 14 in 1978, um, before I signed as a player in 1980. Do I miss Highbury? Definitely. Do I miss the Marble Halls? Definitely. Do I miss the atmosphere? Definitely. Um, European nights. The One of the days, one of the nights at Highbury, or one of the days at Highbury, that I will remember to the day I die. It's famously the one where Tony Adams scored the fourth goal against Everton. And the place was absolutely rocking. Absolutely rocking. Now, I still think those days can come to the Emirates. I still think the atmosphere can come to the Emirates. Unfortunately, the fans at the Emirates have been starved of that success. Yeah. But when it does come, I think the Emirates can be the whole the, the old hybrid for atmosphere. But we've got to get that success. It is such a comfortable stadium. You're sitting in your seat and you've got, it's two metres until you're next, the seat next to you. It's- well, I think you're asked, if you ask Tottenham fans the same thing, the new White Hart Lane, I mean, the stadium is absolutely immense. Um, and they, they talk about White Hart Lane and the great nights at White Hart Lane. Now, I'm very lucky in the sense that I don't have any Tottenham friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've been to White Hart, the new White Hart Lane. I went there with the Arsenal women's team. And uh, look, it's, it's an amazing stadium. And it's quality, absolutely quality, as yeah. I thought the Emirates was when we went there. But fans want success. Oh, bring and, it on. And, and then once you do that, I mean, Patrick, Chelsea, they build their new all-singing, all-dancing stadium. It will be an incredible stadium. Um, because they won't do anything by half. They will invest a lot of money in it. But you it lose won't that- be a home stadium until they win something. Exactly. Yeah. And you lose that atmosphere. I know sort of with West Ham and if Chelsea do get to the new stadium, you're going to lose that sort of close proximity of the fans yeah. being next to the pitch. And I know at the Emirates and at the Olympic Stadium yeah. in West Ham, I've been to Chelsea away there and you are miles from the pitch. You don't yeah. get that yeah. sort of atmosphere where you can really be a home yeah. crowd. You know, it's not the yeah. same. But I, I, I did a year at West Ham. And the London Stadium is probably the worst stadium in the country for being away from the pitch. We had some great games there. And sometimes the atmosphere was incredible. So I would argue back, the atmosphere is what is made by the fans. Yeah. And it's made by the fans, by the performance of the team. And I think all these new stadiums, when those teams are successful in these new stadiums, you'll see a different stadium. Uh, Hopefully we can be back in the stadiums as, as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Wait for it. Arsenal lifting the league for a change. <laughs> we live in hope. We live in hope. With your job and injuries, what's the worst injury you've seen? It Was it Eduardo? Yeah, yeah. Easily, yeah, yeah. I was reading about it and I hope this is right because if it is, it's brilliant. <laughs> you know it. I'm about what paper it. you got it from, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's... When you Eduardo's injured and you bring uh, Gilberto Silva right. to translate, is that yeah. true? Yeah, when foreign players get a, a really bad injuries or they're in high levels of pain, they will always go back to their native tongue. Yeah. Um, and it was easier to get Gilberto to talk to him while we were treating his foot to get the signs and symptoms of what he was feeling, what he couldn't feel and what was going on. And also to reassure Eduardo that he was in good hands, he was being looked after, and Gilberto was fantastic. And you uh, also saved by John Terry. 
Yeah, the John Terry one was an interesting one because I, I'd been on the pitch to treat Manuel Amunia. Um, something had been thrown at him from the crowd and Chelsea had a corner. So I got called on. So I kneeled behind the goal, as I always do when you treat a goalkeeper. And then the corner came over and um, Diaby went to volley it away and John went to kick it and he was out cold before he hit the floor. Instinct takes over then. Uh, I mean, okay, I know I've worked with John with England, so I knew John really well. But yeah. it doesn't matter when you're a medical person, you're a medical person. Instinct took over. No right. So I quickly run on and just opened up his airways so that he could breathe properly. And uh, yeah, we managed successfully to bring him round. And then he came. And you did the same with Rocky. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was at Millwall. Um, same thing happened there. It also happened to me when I was doing a reserve team game at Barnet with. Um, do you remember Steve Ball used to play for Wolves? Yeah. He, um, his brother Gary was playing and did the same thing at Barnet. So it ha it's happened a few times. But that's what we're training. That's what I teach now. That's why I work at the FA teaching this sort of stuff now. So you're very obviously very talented in uh, treating injuries. But there, has, there was a time when you were the one that was injured. Yes, yes. I'm 2014 World now. Cup. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we were playing Italy in Manaus and uh, we equalised. Daniel Sturridge scored and we all jumped up with Mad on the bench. And then as I've gone to get the drinks bottles, my foot slipped and went into a, a ridge in the floor and I dislocated my ankle and uh, broke it in three or four places and smashed it to bits, basically. So I had to fly home for surgery and reconstructive surgery on my ankle. And uh, so I flew home on the Sunday, got back on the Monday Sadly, the team followed me a week later because they lost the next yeah, two goals. So I was about to say, unfortunately. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was the dream World Cup, Brazil, the home of football, to go and play a deal World Cup there. We went there the year before to play in the American R and play Brazil there. Yeah, so it was the dream World Cup, but then to come home early was a was a massive disappointment. What was your favourite World Cup or, or major tournament in general that you went um, with England on? I've been so lucky in that, I mean, I've done five World Cups. I've done four European Championships. I did the Olympics. Um, I'll say the Olympics is one of my favourites for the experience, yeah. especially it being in London. That was incredible. Although we went out on penalties again the night that it was the Golden Saturday, you know, when we got the three gold medals. Yeah. Um, Aaron Ramsey missed a penalty and uh, we went out on penalties. Um I've got to say my favourite's got to be my first one in France because it was my first one. Yeah. Japan yeah. and Korea were special. Uh, they're, all, they're, they're all special. I mean, I did over 230 games for England. And from the first game to the last game, when we sang the national anthem at the start of the game, the hairs stood on the back of my neck. And it was the proudest moment of my life whenever I've represented England. And that will never change. I'm now a mad England fan. I want them to win absolutely everything. And uh, that will never change. Well, fingers um, for next year then. I think they've got a great chance. This summer? I, yeah, I, I think they've got a great chance, especially with a lot of the games being in England. Mm -hmm. um, if they, again, same old thing that we had, if they can have everyone fit. Um, yeah. Gareth, I worked with Gareth in 98 at the World Cup and uh, he was a great player, great thinker of the game, but he's also a great manager. And they're a young crop and, of uh, players as well who are only going to learn have, for yeah. Yeah. And we've got a couple of big tournaments coming up. Yeah. So fingers yeah. crossed. Looking Yeah, back. no. So I'm, I'm very, very optimistic and hopeful. Uh, I'm conscious of time and I don't want to keep you too late on um, 
Monday evening, and thank you very much for uh, talking to us. Uh, but we have got one question, which okay. we want to ask every single person that comes on to this yeah. podcast. Uh, and it's, if you had to play a round of golf with a person from a different sport, who are you going to play with? Oh, that's, a, that's a good one to throw at somebody, isn't it? Um, <laughs> now I'll go for two, because I love cricket. I'm a big cricket fan. Oh, so I would either go for Jack Nicholas or Ian Botham. And oh. so I will go for Ian Botham. Ian Botham, yeah. Um, you'll have a great day out. Oh, might remember some of it. He probably likes mine, <laughs> doesn't he? Uh, thank you, Gary, for speaking to us. Incredibly kind of you. And uh, I've, I enjoyed that way too much. To get a <laughs> lot, nah, no problem. It was a pleasure. I hope it comes Correct. out okay. Keep, keep reminding Patrick about our glory days, which we did have, I promise you. Once upon a time, Tom. Once upon a time. The, the only thing I'm going to throw back at Patrick is we have got history. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Oh, Gary, I'm going to get that tattooed. <laughs> uh, thank you, Gary. All the best. Pleasure. Nice, nice to meet you both. Gary.